Conversations podcast. This episode is made up of four parts. This is part three of four. All right. So next question is from Victoria, um, certified provisional interpreter. Languages are Dari, Persian, and Hazaragi. The number of years a practitioner in the workplace is not recognized in certification. For example, after 20 years, at least one step up is fair. So I'm just going to see if I got this question right. Um, if I'm at certified provisional level and I do that for 20 years, I should automatically be bumped up to certified interpreter level. Correct? Is that what you got from the question as well? That's how we understand that question, I guess. Uh, the- so is, can this happen? Is 20 years uh, uh, enough for one step up? Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that um, whether... Uh, practitioners coming from in that, but the the real uh, the cornerstone of Nadi's certification testing, and the reason that um, when we did the improvement to Nadi testing review in 2012, and we did the development of the new system, which commenced in 2018, one of the key takeouts of it was that Nadi would conduct the testing. So in the previous system, um, there was some people that got it through um, completion of a course with a university or registered training organisation and being tested by them. But there's lots of variability in different um, groups or organisations running the tests. So that that key part of the system moving forward, and so I appreciate this sounds like I'm going around the question, but I will get to the point of it. Uh, The key point for NATI testing is there is one consistent standard for Australia. It's not RMIT or TAFE South Australia or any other group determining what their level of expertise is in it or what they believe the pass is, it's one assessing authority in DARTI. The same logic applies to the higher level tests. So although we appreciate that candidates or practitioners get a lot of experience in the workplace, we don't know. It's hard to determine what that experience entailed, whether the you could work um, theoretically in an industry for 10 years and never quite do it right. You might mm. uh, speak in the third person rather than the first person. And even though you've got that experience, it's not actually the, the knowledge, skills and attributes that have been determined as the national standard. So, again, although we appreciate the, the length of expertise and experience from practitioners at the CPI level wanting to go up, but also at a recognised practising level that might want to go up, um, it's still a requirement for us to test because then anyone that uses a certified interpreter or translator, any um, any consumer, any government business, and for practitioners as well, everyone knows that they've been assessed on the same standards, and and that's what we believe is the both the uniqueness, but also the um, the consistency and the confidence that people get from having that um, credential. Um, I guess, I mean, if you look at that credentialing system, I kind of sometimes try to explain it to my students as like a driver's license. Um, You know, even if you are the world's best car driver, uh, let's say you're Lewis Hamilton uh, and you've been doing it for 20 years, you're not going to be able to go and drive a truck with the same license, correct? You still need to go and sit, prepare and sit for a truck driving license. 
Yep. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a off-center analogy, but, uh, you know, you do still need to meet certain standards, prepare. There are certain other things that um, are, are tested, other skills that are tested at that level. And just because uh, you are very experienced um, in one thing uh, doesn't mean you have the skills to do it at another level, I guess. Mm-hmm. Could we say it in that way? You could. And I think that Lewis Hamilton analogy is good because if you look at him, he's clearly one of the best drivers in the world, seven world championships, but he doesn't have to follow road rules and he only drives one way around a track. Correct. So um, although an excellent driver potentially doesn't know how to indicate or use stop signs. So hence why um, one testing body for this uh, for this system. On, on that Formula One, the um, uh, story is that uh, Jacques Villeneuve came to Istanbul one day. He drove on the road uh, for about half an hour and then pulled over and said, I can't drive in this city. Everyone drives like me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's why I don't think, uh, you know, the Istanbul Grand Prix is always um, easier compared to uh, driving on the roads of Istanbul. <laughs> All right. Um, Okay, this one. I like this question. Uh, Let's see who's going to take this up. Uh, Western Australia, Spanish uh, certified provisional interpreter. When will you change the name for the certified provisional, that's in capitals, interpreter, to paraprofessional interpreter as it used to be? Provisional is the most misleading and unsuitable denomination and it affects how we are perceived as interpreters. There is nothing provisional about me being an interpreter. I have been doing it for 25 years, for over 25 years. The change in the name needs to be as soon as possible. I'll take that one. All right, Orly, this is yours. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I appreciate the comment and uh, I agree that the term provisional is is not ideal. Uh, there's a bit of a history to that. Um, when uh, NATI reviewed um, the accreditation system to uh, develop the certification system, a series of recommendations were made. Um, that was part of our INT report, our improvement um, and proven to, uh, sorry, I've forgotten the <laughs> improvement. Um, it's okay, I'll cut it out and paste yeah, it. Yeah. Improvement to Nadi testing. Yeah, so there were a series of recommendations, and one of them was uh, to change uh, the name of our old paraprofessional interpreter test to provisional, and that was um, actually proposed in, in having in mind that after the first two or three years of being at a provisional level, uh, the candidate could um, attempt the next level up in testing and therefore uh, become a certified interpreter. Um, However, as we've discussed in previous questions, uh, depending on the demand and the requirements to uh, create a new test and the, the professionals available to become examiners, it is not always possible to offer that next level up. Um, And uh, therefore, that uh, terminology might not be actually um, suiting the situation now. So uh, actually, NATI is um, regularly undergoing uh, improvements of its system. And uh, 
we are actually entering a phase of, of more improvements and review of, of uh, the current system. So as part of that, we will be looking at, at um, the name of that test. Um, but right now, um, we don't have a, a planned change. But it's, it's good to know that, that you've been thinking about this. Yeah. So this isn't news to you. No. No, yep. All right. Well, you know, I want to say to this interpreter um, from Western Australia that this is no news to Aurelie and her team, and they're actually thinking about it. So that's um, right. Hang in there. Yeah, and we can't promise anything, of course. I mean, but this is definitely something uh, we are considering um, in the future. We may be considering in the future. It's, it's good to know that it's on the table. It's, it's been yeah. spoken about, you know. Um, same interpreter asking this question. When will you lower your recertification fees? They were lowered for COVID. Please keep them at $99 or lower, not higher. Interpreters are not very well paid. For as long as this is the case, please keep them as low as possible. Much appreciated. So you're right. We did uh, reduce um, the fees for recertification during COVID. They're actually still reduced up until uh, 30th of June this year. Uh, it was part of the support package that our board agreed to along with the reduction in professional development and work practice requirements uh, from sort of April last year right through to June 30th. Uh, however, they will be going back up. We're committed to keeping them at the rate they are. So the recertification fee um, in 2018 was $198 uh, and it will stay that in um, when it goes back up. It will stay at 198 so we're not putting it up every year. Uh, I guess I, I appreciate the point of um, interpreters not being very well paid uh, mm -hmm. and that it is a cost, it's a burden, but there is also a, a whole team of people that are working to you know, advocate for interpreters and ensure that um, the professional development and work practice requirements are uh, in place and checked and um, and valid. Uh, there's a group of people uh, like Orly and I that are involved in more testing and ensuring that the ongoing um, system where, uh, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, NATI uh, is reasonably unique in its structure in that we're a private not-for-profit company. So we're not a government department or agency. There's not any unlimited amount of funds there. Um, we have a, um, a membership base of, of the nine governments of Australia and they do give us some funds to help offset the costs of delivering certification tests, So, uh, which I know is not part of the question, but I think relevant. So well, every I think it's very relevant so people know where NITI's money comes from and why do they need uh, payments from memberships either. Yeah. You know, so, I think it's very important that you explain that, Michael. Yeah, so the certification tests alone um, cost us considerably more than we um, charge to run them. Uh, as we've said in a previous uh one of these conversations is uh, with seven odd people involved just in the delivery of the test. You know, the the cost, which we appreciate, is expensive, but it doesn't even go halfway yeah. towards covering the cost of actually delivering it. And then with things like the Minati portal and the other administrative costs of the business, the 198 uh, for recertification, you know, we try and keep it as low as possible. As I said, we've we've not increased for three years and we won't do it for next year either. Um, but compared to other registration systems, I, I grabbed a couple of examples before, but something like Teachers is $90 per annum. Um, the AICD, the Australian Institute of Company Directors, is 550 per annum. 
uh, and certified practicing accountants is $325 per annum. So compared to other professional organisations where we're reasonably cheap, uh, we'll, we'll keep it as low as we can mm-hmm. and we'll try and hold that price where we can. So yeah, appreciate that it's a cost, but we believe that it's appropriate given um, the type of organisation and membership. Thank you. I think um, you've explained that very well and uh, how, uh, you know, there is a lot of cost involved, even just with the testing and the the, the price or the, the figure that Nati charges for the testing doesn't even start to cover the actual cost. Um, so uh, thank you very much for giving us uh, more detail about uh, the structure of Nati and uh, how it financially works as well. Um, okay, next question is New South Wales uh, from a Farsi certified translator. Hi, any indication of when you may have testing for advanced translator level for Persian in the future? The old system used to have it, and I'm wondering if the new system will too. So old system had advanced translator for Persian into and from English, and the new system doesn't? And will it? Yeah, so uh, I'll take that one. So we have decided to delay the development of the advanced translator test um, to focus first on on the rollout of the certification uh, of the certified translator test. We've been rolling out the new system over three years now. And as um, Michael mentioned before, uh, we are aiming at having uh, 53 languages available um, Uh, Yeah, and so um, our focus has been on the first levels of uh, testing, but Nat is certainly considering uh, having an advanced translator test available at some point. Uh, But for now, we're not uh, contemplating having it until probably 2023. So there is still, um, yeah, there'll still be some time before it's available. Uh, But again, as we mentioned in previous question, we do um, encourage people as well to mention their interests. So uh, we can also take that on board. Um, But for now, it won't be available in the short term. Okay, but it is is in the pipeline. Mm, Yes. All right, very good. Okay, Victoria, Tamil language. If a person has completed Diploma of Interpreting in the year 2015 and has been working as an interpreter since the year 2012, could he or she sit for the NATI directly instead of doing the competency tests? This is for the Tamil language. Yeah, so um, I'll have to make a couple of assumptions in the question. So... The uh, the part where they've said they've been working as an interpreter, I'm assuming they've been working without any NADI certification. So if that's the case, the um, training remains relevant for us as part of the prerequisites, as does the English proficiency that comes along with it if it was done in English language, that diploma. Uh, but ethics and intercultural, because it um, is a skill that... Um, would need uh, refreshing or to be retested, we would require ethics and intercultural tests for a um, whether the, the course itself was more than three years ago in Australia. Yeah, but so also, it's yeah. 2015, so that's six years ago. Yeah, so we Is would require ethics valid? and intercultural. Yeah. Yep. And likewise, um, just to give a, a parallel for it, if someone had done their training that Cairo University, for example, 
we would, even though the training would be recent, we would we would require the ethics and intercultural to bolster that as well as part of our prerequisites. So, uh, you know, there's one thing in the skill of translating or interpreting, but um, NADI certification is more than that, and it's the knowledge of intercultural and ethical competencies as well. Okay, our next question comes from a certified interpreter uh, in the Arabic language from New South Wales. We know leaving the interpreter for interpreting assignment and the patient in a closed room with a psychiatrist on a video link is against health and safety rules, unacceptable and risky. But this is happening in some clinics. What will you do about it? So let me just clarify here. Um, the interpreter and the patient is in the room and uh, it is uh, the, the, the doctor or the healthcare professional is joining in by video link. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Usually you would have everyone in the same room. But in this case, the interpreter is left uh, by themselves with the patient while the healthcare professional is in a remote uh, location. Mm -hmm. So I, I can answer this question. Well, first, NATI is, is a certifying body. So here we we can't really, you know, um, just comment or, or, uh, or really... Um, influence that situation directly, uh, appreciate where it's coming from, and, and I can see there is definitely an ethical issue in this situation. Um, I think the, the best course of action would be to make um, management of this company aware of, of the situation and, and refer them to the code of ethics potentially uh, as to working conditions. Um, but this is not something Natty can directly influence, unfortunately. So, but I guess the recommendation here is to also probably contact your agency, tell them yeah. that this is happening. Uh, yeah. That would probably be the best thing to do, as opposed to talking yeah. to maybe that healthcare institution directly. Call yeah. your agency, tell them that this is happening. Um, this goes against uh, health mm. and safety and uh, workplace uh, safety, um, and and the agency will then get in touch with the institution and hopefully sort this out. This is quite yeah. a serious uh, matter. Um, when we're doing face-to-face -face interpreting, uh, you know, it's not like the doctor leaves all of a sudden and you're left there with the patient. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, why should this be any different uh, exactly. in a remote interpreting um, mm -hmm. situation? So, yes, if something like this is happening or has happened, please let the agency know and your agency should sort that out with the institution. This is yeah. uh, quite a serious matter. So thank mm -hmm. you, Ali. Um, okay, let's move on. New South Wales Greek interpreter also learning Auslan. Well done. Mm -hmm. In the next few months, I'll be sitting for the NATI CPI test. Mm -hmm. I have looked high and low for Greek prep courses and found absolutely nothing. So how does one prepare to study for the NATI test? Do I concentrate on glossaries or dialogues? I have requested guidance from NATI, RMIT, TAFSA, and OZIT, and have hit a brick wall. How would you best utilize the 15 minutes prep time before each part of the test? Mm, okay, I can answer that one. Aurelie, right. this one has your name written all over it. <laughs> yes. Um, so for the CPI test, we have uh, three tasks. And as you know, they're all three dialogues. So candidates get a 15-minute preparation time before each task. Uh, 
Um, now, it is not a lot of time, um, but during that time, the candidate is provided with a brief, a brief which is in the form of a narrative text, uh, the brief to the next task. So, um, what we recommend is that they use the 15 minutes to um, do as much um, uh, research on, based on the brief as possible, so they can look at terminology or the topic of the of the dialogue. During the preparation time, um, candidates can have access to an internet connected device that they would bring with them. Um, so it can be a laptop, a phone, or a tablet. So that can help them to. Uh, maximize this preparation time and work on the terminology or the topic that is highlighted in the brief. So uh, that's what I would recommend as to how to use the 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, now, in terms of preparing for the test itself, preparation, of course, doesn't start in the preparation room 15 minutes before the test. Uh, this is something that needs to be planned and training, obviously, is it is one of the prerequisites, uh, but it's necessary. And I did mention short courses before, um, which are can be really good to prepare for the test. Uh, additional mm -hmm. may be needed to gain the skills needed to to do the test. Um, but there are different options. Um, there are there's some information about uh, training on the NATI website under the R services section. There's a section about endorsed qualification uh, institutions where the candid potential candidates can find more information about training. Um, I also did mention uh, the different domains the ca the, uh, for, for each task. Um, that is also available in our candidate information on the website. Um, and working on glossaries, general knowledge about relevant domains uh, to the Australian society uh, is also a good, a good thing to do. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Yep. Now, that's a very good answer. Uh, thank you very much. I also say to my students that 15 minutes, if you don't know about the topic, you're not going to learn in 15 minutes everything about that topic. That's um, right. So, you know, you have to, it's ongoing preparation, like you say, um, ongoing uh, building your contextual knowledge about the different mm -hmm. domains. Um, yeah. And uh, I always say as well that 15 minutes, try to refresh your memory, build a little uh, terminology, a little glossary, but also just try mm -hmm. to imagine or anticipate the dialogue that's going to be happening between these two mm -hmm. people, you know, yeah. so that you get a bit of an idea and get your mind into that headspace. You know, right. I, I guess, you know, again, I, I like my sports analogies, you know, if you're <laughs> preparing for a marathon, uh, you know, you don't get ready for a marathon in just 15 minutes before the marathon. That's you right. build your body and you build your mind towards mm -hmm. it. Um, so, and then in that last 15 minutes, it's all about, you know, getting in the headspace and doing a, few, doing, a, doing a few stretches and warming up a little. Um, right. You know, I think it's just we got to think that the 15 mm -hmm. minutes is a bit like that. And, um, exactly. uh, you know, it, it, it uh, complements the years or the months of preparation that uh, you have put in for that final um, three hours or so uh, for the test, I guess. Yeah. So same practitioner is asking, uh, what is the failure rate of participants in NATI testing? How many fail their first go? How many fail their second go? Uh, so all I can appreciate the answer, uh, the request for an answer on it, uh, I can't give one. 
Uh, and it's not that we don't collect that data, it's just that any figure that I gave that was a singular figure is, um, it doesn't take into account any of the variabilities that affect it. So uh, we have several thousand candidates a year in multiple different languages, in multiple different test types. Uh, and to narrow it down uh, even to a singular language is problematic because we have varying levels of education and experience going into it. So a singular number, although I could provide it, would be completely out of context. So um, as mentioned, there's and there's some languages where we've tested dozens of candidates and others where we've done a handful. So the the statistics aren't, uh, the data set's not large enough to give an appropriate number on it. Uh, as a general statement, though, I could say that uh, where candidates have received higher levels of training, so a bachelor's or master's or above, compared to a diploma or a skill set, uh, is considerably more likely to pass. Uh, and uh, in the question as well with the supplementary tests, um, considerably more likely. Uh, in that second attempt to pass as well. Again, I, I can't really just give a singular number or even a singular number um, per language because someone that's done a 12-week skill set compared to someone that's done five or six years to a master's level, it's not a fair, fair comparison or number. That's a lovely diplomatic answer you gave. I uh, try. Thank you, thank you Michael. <laughs> um, well, let me put it out to you then. Uh, is, is it a high success rate or is it a high... I know you can't give me numbers, but um, is the failure rate high or low? Or? I, I would comment it's a difficult test. So, okay, yep. yeah, the, the pass rate's not huge. Um, again, I can't put it down to a number, but uh, in some, some languages and some training scenarios, you're looking at numbers where sort of six out of ten will pass, uh, and in other scenarios, it can be single digits. But again, highly variable depending on language, skill level, and training. Practice, practice, practice. We can we can clearly say that uh, it's not an easy test. Yeah. Um, so good preparation, hmm? and it's not something that's probably going to be done in the last fifteen minutes or the last week or two. Absolutely, it's not. It's not Absolutely something not. that you can do heads mm. down and learn interpreting in a couple of weeks, right? All Graduates Conversations Podcast.